Game of Thrones Season 3, Episode 5, Kiss by Fire, is over, but we are just getting started here on the Game of Thrones rewatch here on Post Show Recaps, and now here are the two guys who've just taken the afternoon figs. I am Rob Sisternino here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? The afternoon fig tales. I hope that certain parties are Just to are keep it moving. Just to, to keep everything podcast. moving. Yeah, I don't really have a lot of trouble with that. So, you know, just pretty much anything is going to keep things moving when it comes to me. Yes. Okay. Not to overshare. Not to share too much. Although I've already shared too much. Rob, how are you? How are you doing? We've been on a little bit of a mini break. We uh, had like two weeks between episodes uh, between three and four and now another two weeks between four and five. But we're back. We're locked in. We're here. Yes. Not going anywhere. We're yes. set. We are ready to go. I actually got a, a little bit of a complaint that from a person that I met that I saw in person last week. One of our listeners, Javon, uh, met her in Reno and she said, hey, you guys don't give me enough notice when you skip a week. Don't we say it on the podcast, though? Aren't we like, hey, we're going to take or uh, we have to take a week off. Like there's a thing coming up. Is that not enough notice? I don't know. I just want to give a shout out to anybody that tells me in person that they listen to the show. Oh, that's fair. Uh, was the otherwise the reception was good. It's like, yes, you guys are doing a good job. Yes. She says, uh, bring back Craster. <laughs> I know. Oh, <laughs> Craster. Somebody I saw was saying that uh, your craster is basically just the survivor devil, which I thought was pretty funny. No, it's different because of the survivor devil. I have a tube of toilet paper that I talk into. <laughs> right. Craster. Craster doesn't need any uh, toilet paper. I don't think Craster's used toilet paper once in his life. <laughs> Mormon, you ever hear a man beat a joke into the ground 99 times? <laughs> have you ever used toilet paper before? To talk into a microphone? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Craster, you kill me. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Craster, but, the Wanda of winter was here. Yes. Josh, you said at the end of the last podcast that we did talking about Game of Thrones that uh, low key, this is like one of the best Game of Thrones episodes. And I did feel like it really did live up to the billing. Little to the hype. Uh, yeah, I think that it's it's thought of by many people as one of the best episodes of Game of Thrones. And I think that I in my I don't have it in front of me, but my initial rankings of the Game of Thrones episodes, I think I have this pretty high. I gotta say that I actually think that it didn't quite make oh. the hype for me. How about that? Okay. Is that for a take? A great episode of Game of Thrones, because we're in season three and everything in season three so far has been pretty much magical. But a lot, like probably like an episode that has this much Stannis Baratheon storyline. I think it's a it's hard for it to be elite. Yeah, I think it's high highs and low lows. I think yes. that you know the Stannis stuff is really boring. The Danny stuff is uh, pretty boring. But then you get some uh, you know some really good stuff between the Beric fight with the Hounds. Amazing stuff with Jamie Lannister. A lot of right. intrigue at King's Landing. Uh, really interesting stuff going on with Rob Stark. So I, I think there were high highs and low lows. Yeah, I think the Jamie Lannister scene is uh, an all timer, mm -hmm. uh, certainly through this point in the series. And I think even moving forward, I don't think it spoils much to say that this is one of the finest instances of acting in Game of Thrones is this scene between Jamie and Brienne. It's pretty iconic. It's one of those scenes that we were really excited to see as book readers to see how the show would translate it. And Nikolai Coster-Waldo just crushes it. And I think Gwendolyn Christie does a really great job as well. And just like her reactions and her opinion of 
Jamie Lannister shifting as he tells the true origin of the Kingslayer. It's like her reaction kind of mirrors what the viewer ought to be going through for that first time hearing this story and realizing this guy who's had this awful reputation for so long actually had some pretty good reasons to do what he did. Um, so spectacular scene, like you said, the Rob Stark scene, really, really great. Hot take? Yeah. I think I think the, the Barrack and the Hound scene is just okay. Oh. Uh, I remember this being so much cooler than it was. There's like a thousand cuts in, uh, in that scene. I don't mean sword cuts yeah uh there's really only the one where he really he really gives it to barrack but um this is it's like iron fist up in here <laughs> it's just like we we're cutting away from the action and it made me stop to wonder like at least through this point in the series is, this has to be the best sword fight that we've seen on the show right through uh you know three episodes and uh, three seasons and change of game of thrones is there a, a one-on-one sword battle that beats this one for you what about a bronze trial by combat? That back? was good. Yeah. That was great. That yeah. was great. Well, with these trial by combats, I don't know. If I was ever like a looky-loo at a trial by combat, I'd be getting as far away from the action as I possibly could. I, I just feel like that there is so much just like uh, collateral damage that could happen at one of these trial by combats in like a crowded room. Right. Yeah. You're a prop like you are, you know, you're and anything in the in the way is a potential weapon. You don't want to be anybody's weapon. No, uh, I'd clear out anyway. So let, let's talk uh, through everything going on here in this episode. And uh, Josh, I guess uh, the big reveal at the end of the episode, you know, we've had all of this uh, talk recently about Sansa Stark being the key to the North. And so yet a lot of people fighting over Sansa and then uh, Littlefinger has a lot of stuff going on in this episode. And we'll talk about that. But ultimately you have Cersei sitting down with Ty win and Tyrion at the end of the episode and Cersei's like all proud of herself because she knows what's coming and Tyrion doesn't but we find out that uh, Tywin's plot here is to marry Tyrion to Sansa Stark the scene is spectacular uh, just like the the way the scene shifts back and forth with Cersei walking in so confident and so excited about what Tywin is about to tell Tyrion uh, like when Tywin says, we need to find Sansa Stark, another husband. And Tyrion goes, okay, wonderful. And Cersei goes, yeah, it is. Because like she knows, she knows that it's him. He's the one. And then when she finds out that part of this deal is that she's going to have to marry Loras Tyrell, she's not happy about it. And so it's just that smirk goes away so quickly. And uh, it's just, I, I don't know. I mean, it, this is obviously everything that Tyrion is saying is absolutely accurate in terms of like, this is really cruel. You know, Sansa was engaged to Joffrey, the guy who had her father beheaded. Now she's free from him and you're just going to marry her off to another Lannister. Like this is this is low even for you. Um, and all of that is is totally legit. But it's also kind of amazingly funny to watch Tywin ground his adult children. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the uh, marriage equivalent of sending them to their room. Very funny without internet. Yeah. And, you know, he gets both of them. You know, yes. he gets yes. Tyrion and then he gets Cersei. And basically she's like, don't, don't do this to me again. Don't do this to me again. This is the same as the thing that happened to her with Robert. And she's like, I'm finally free of that. And now you're going to go send me off to marry somebody else I don't even like. 
Yeah, and he's like, yeah, I am going to do that because it's going to put an end to all those disgusting rumors about you once and for all. And in that moment, Cersei's like, oh, God, Dad knows that I'm doing it with my brother. (laughs) Yeah, right. Bad. Okay, so that was a very fun way to end this episode. Yeah. So I guess let's just, uh, you know, run through what's going on here in King's Landing because uh, we have, you know, a lot of stuff and a lot of it is involving Littlefinger and sort of trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, We see Cersei and Littlefinger have a scene together where Cersei sort of uh, sends Littlefinger out to go figure out what is going on here with the Tyrells. Yeah, um, and he's fine to to find out because that's going to mean finding out more about what's going on with Sansa. And I think it's fair to say at this point that Littlefinger, uh, he's very interested in Sansa Stark. Uh, and when it comes to Littlefinger's relationship with Sansa Stark, please don't call him Littlefinger. Please don't call him Lord Baelish. Please don't even call him Petire. He's just Peter. Mm-hmm. And going back to was it in the, you know, some great stuff between them in the first season and then they have the scene. I think it opens up in the second season. Uh, you know, power is power. Knowledge is power. Uh, right. I like the interplay between Cersei and Littlefinger whenever we get it. Yeah. It, you know, there's now like this kind of sense of danger whenever they're in a scene together because of that power is power scene. I think like when Cersei comes to Littlefinger, you get this feeling that like at any moment um, she could turn the tables on him again. So I think it just adds a level of stakes uh, to the to the dynamic between those two characters. Uh, underrated pair. Underrated on-screen duo, I think, these two. We see Tyrion talk with Lady Olena. Tyrion is now master of coin, and he's trying to help get this royal wedding paid for. And Lady Olena would like to see a very extravagant wedding between Marjorie and Joffrey and Tyrion is like, I don't think we can pay for this. Yeah, but it's, uh, you know, it's the royal wedding. Royal mm-hmm. family pays for the royal wedding. That makes sense to me. Doesn't it make sense to you? It does make some sense. Now, Lady Olena has a theory and she says, look, the people are hungry for more than just food. They crave distraction and a royal wedding is exactly that if we don't give them these distractions they will end up making their own distractions which will involve us being torn to pieces do you buy this um i think i do to a degree uh it's i don't know it's like our culture isn't it where like you know you you need to know what's happening with the kardashians otherwise you're just gonna be bored out of your mind i'm not saying you and me necessarily but like whoever our kardashians are like we do live in this world of celebrity worship i mean even as we are recording this right now in april 2018 there's a legitimate royal wedding in the offing that everybody is obsessed with so i think that it's the it's the kind of thing that like anything that distracts you from the reality of what you're facing in your day-to-day life, which might not be so pleasant, uh, or at, li- at least might not be, um, you know, all that glamorous compared to something like a royal wedding. Anything that you can toss the people's way to get their minds away from the true danger or the true darkness, the true despair, uh, is going to be good for your political favor. Okay. Later on in this episode, we are going to see... Sir Loris end up in a uh, he's uh, having a, a duel 
Yeah, he's having a duel, and then somebody wants to have a different type of duel with him. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so he's uh, that uh, Sir Loras is sparring. Uh, we see Marjorie and Sansa talking. Of course, uh, they are hitting it off uh, so splendidly as uh, Sansa is very excited to potentially go and uh, be part of the Tyrell family. Uh, and here's this guy Oliver. He comes along and Oliver. Yes, Oliver. Oliver uh, he wants to spar with Loras. Yes. Please, sir, may I have some more? <laughs> yeah. More? Mont? Yeah. Uh, so Oliver has shown up here and he knows what's up with Loris and Loris is all about it. And then we learned that Oliver has, um, he's got other, other motives in mind. He works for Littlefinger. Works for Littlefinger. Littlefinger says, that didn't take long. Yeah. Littlefinger's yeah. like, oh, I'm impressed. You're, you're good. Yes. And so Littlefinger ends up uh, saying to Sansa, hey, I've got this ship. Come on, let's let, let's go. Come on, do it. You want to go on the ship? I like that line, too, where he's talking about, you know, I used to want a ship. Now I want 12. Uh, and he talks about how, like, you you want the thing you don't have. Uh, and like, you know, you you're, you're spending your entire life thinking that you want this thing. And then what you really want is uh, basically he doesn't say it, but he says, when we get it, we only want something else. And that something else is, you know, to quote earlier, more, you know, you want more than the one thing. You want a dozen of the same thing. Uh, I thought that that was a great scene that really speaks to Littlefinger's motivations. Mm -hmm. And I think that Littlefinger's motivations here are a little muddied because that we believe, you know, he wants, you know, he's making these plans. He has this boat. We know about his feather bed, but apparently he also then found out this information and then relayed it back to Cersei. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's because for for Littlefinger, who clearly has his eye on Sansa and wants to keep her close, I think that if he hands her over to the Tyrells, I think that he views that as a situation he has less control over. Whereas if Sansa is still here in the King's Landing family, that's a world that he really has his fingers on the pulse. Uh, so I think he feels in having Cersei get the upper hand with Sansa for now, he probably has an opportunity to do something later. Whereas if Sansa is married into the Tyrell family, he's really going to lose his opportunity with her. Yeah. And I think also he does not anticipate Tywin's move here to marry off Sansa probably. to Tyrion. Probably true. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the other Lannister sibling uh, that we have not gotten to, at least in the recapping of it all. Jamie Lannister has uh, a big episode. We see him dropped off at Harrenhal, and he is now in the custody of Lord Bolton. Yeah, and so many great things happen here. Uh, not so many great things happen to Jamie's stump. Jamie's stump seems like a bad time <laughs> yeah well that they send jamie off to go see kyburn but not before roose bolton like roose bolton really relishes in sort of the anticipation it's a uh, uh like a seacrest at the height of his powers on american idol in terms of you are 
nuts you know, <laughs> yeah, you know yeah he's a really he's just like, yeah, stretching like, it out the giving the news about your sister i don't know how i should put it he's, he's alive like, and well <laughs> he's like probes at the second chance finale he's like you know he's about to like reject t-bird everyone thinks that t-bird's about to go on stage and then uh you know suddenly there there you go uh yeah it's great it's it's a very it's a very um it's kind of funny because we know certainly where where this is going, but he's just like, how can I put this? Your sister is totally alive. Yeah, like, like your oh, sister's okay. great. She's <laughs> like great. Boy, you She's really great. dragged that out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What if it's not out of like any sense of like trying to torture him or anything? This is just like how Roose Bolton conveys information. Mm-hmm. It's like the worst messenger humanly possible. Yeah, well, he does. You know, the 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 flayed man. They like to, you know, to torture people. They just, just like take one little strip of skin at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, really gross stuff. Now, Josh, I want to talk about this scene with uh, Maester Kyburn, or I guess former Maester Kyburn, who is working on Jamie's stump and trying to yes. clean it up. Uh, he'd like to take Jamie's arm off. Uh, Jamie says, "If you do that, I'll kill you." So, Jamie declines, yes. Yeah. But Maester Kyburn says to him, or Kyburn says to Jamie, uh, you'll need milk of the poppy. Jamie says no. Yeah, he does. Why? I think he doesn't want to be, um, you know, he wants to be lucid. He doesn't want to to be faded. I think he wants to be in control because if he takes milk of the poppy and loses his sensibilities then maybe Kyron's going to take his arm off in his sleep. You think that's so I it? Think, I think so. I think he just wants to be, or maybe he likes the pain. Well, you know, maybe, maybe that's my question. Like, yeah. do, do you feel like that Jamie, and this is an episode for him where he, you know, we've seen Jamie Lannister be a certain way for the, you know, first, uh, you know, 21, 22 episodes of Game of Thrones. And then now he is really down on his luck. Is this a bit of penance for Jamie Lannister that in some way is he looking at it that he is paying for his sins with his with this pain? And if he feels like if he was to dull the pain in some way by taking the milk of the poppy, that then he is not really paying for his sins. Yeah, maybe. Um, I think that there's like a quality about Jamie right now. Like this is very much emo Jamie Lannister, right? Like, you know, if he had like eyeliner, he'd put it on and he'd go full goth. Uh, but I think the, the, you know, the alternative for him right now is just like feeling miserable for himself and shock absorbing any amount of pain that he possibly can have just to feel anything um, you know, telling the story about the truth of behind his birth as the Kingslayer uh, and really just feeling so bad for himself. I think this is all of a piece. I think this is all part of the same. Uh, this is all coming from the same place. OK, so later on in the episode, we're going to see uh, Jamie and Brienne have uh, this really epic scene in the bath and i like the idea that jamie says to say to her like look if i if i pass out in the bath you know pick me pick me up yeah he's like i don't want to be the first lannister to die in a bathtub and it's like yeah yeah i don't want you to be that either yeah it would be very embarrassing to die in the bathroom but jamie gets in the tub with brienne and they end up 
you know, uh, really, you know, continuing this bond. And he tells uh, the whole Mad King backstory. He does. And it's it's great. I mean, these are details that um, I don't think that we've talked about in the spoiler free sections on these podcasts. But it's 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 so secondhand to us not to use any hand puns, but it's so like it's so second nature to us at this point in um, our watching of the story that we know it, it was the Mad King for a reason. This guy was really going to do some terrible stuff to his people. Uh, and Jamie describes, he like, you know, sketches out what the scenario was that the Mad King was obsessed with wildfire and he had stores of wildfire hidden all throughout King's Landing under the Sept of Baylor, in Flea Bottom, in houses. And he was just going to nuke the site from orbit, except from orbit, meaning he's actually just going to be in the center of it because he's going to burn himself and then become a dragon. Like, this guy was insane. Mm -hmm. And Jamie was well within uh, his moral rights to put an end to this guy, um, even if it was, you know, technically violating his oath. He did, like, the morally correct thing, and he's been paying for it ever since. So I think when you hear this story from Jamie Lannister for the first time, it's a real subversion of everything we've ever thought about this guy who we've just kind of viewed as this, you know, sort of this arrogant jerk who always is just like picking fights with people for no reason. Um, turns out he's got a reason to have a chip on his shoulder. He did a very good thing. Not only got no thanks for it, uh, but, but well, he was demonized for it. He was demonized for saving thousands of people. Uh, it's not unsimilar to what Tyrion is currently going through, being the guy who saved everyone in the Battle of Blackwater and getting not only zero credit, but also just like scorn and ire from people. Sucks. Yeah, a couple interesting things with this, though, that one seems like that Jamie like, might have been kind of afraid that the Mad King was going to turn into a dragon because he had to slit his throat also after he stabbed <laughs> him in the back. He's like, God, yeah, like, make sure. But yeah, like that seems like, you know, just in case, just <laughs> in case this dragon thing is legit, maybe I should just like double tap. Okay. But Jamie pours his heart out here to Brienne and tells this whole emotional tale of his whole backstory and what he did and why he broke this oath and wouldn't you do the same thing if you were in this situation and then he passes out and freaking Brienne yells out help help the Kingslayer like, <laughs> Brienne come on <laughs> Were you listening to a <laughs> single word I was saying? <laughs> I really? Really? Yeah, uh, really rubbing bath salts in the stump <laughs> in that moment. And I know that the writers had to like us. They could say, no, call me Jamie. But yeah. Brienne, that he just got done pouring his heart out. Yeah, it seemed like it was working, too. Like, it seemed like she was receptive to it. So maybe it was just like. I don't know, it was reflexive at that point. She hasn't really called him anything else. So it's like, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's just, it was just like, the, it was, it was weird for her to call him by his name. So she was just like felt awkward and just like, didn't know what to do in the moment. There's so many other things she could have said right there. <laughs> help. Yeah. Oh, the Kingslayer. <laughs> okay. This guy needs help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That would have been better. <laughs> the guy I'm in the bath with passing out. All right. We touched on the fight between the Hound and uh, Beric Dondarrion with the flaming sword. You weren't that impressed uh, with the fight. We see Beric Dondarrion. He dies for the sixth time, Josh. Six times. Yeah, uh, he's died six times. 
uh, and twice by a Clegane. That's impressive. Yes. Uh, good marks for the Clegane brother. Yeah, later on in the episode, Thoros of Mir uh, tries to tell us that uh, every time it gets harder to bring him back. It took him four seconds. Right, yeah, it was pretty cool. What was so, so I, difficult? The other times must have been like nanoseconds, you know, like really fast. Yeah. <laughs> he brought it back so quick to the point where Arya is screaming about how like uh, she's like lunging for him like burn in hell and then like uh, there in his back like uh, oh he will one day but not today like uh, how uh, how what was he out for I don't know not long yeah he bounced back pretty fast yeah but later on uh we will find out from Beric Dondarrion every time he dies uh the, every time he goes away uh it's like a little piece of him is gone it's like it's a metaphor <laughs> yeah i don't know what for <laughs> yeah so we uh see Arya she's trying to she's trying to pick the brain of uh Thoros of Mir she's asking uh, like hey could you bring back a guy without a head is that possible that's like been dead for like two years. Yeah, like for a little while is probably kind of decomposed at this point. I don't think that you would want headless Ned back. I feel like that's a bad version of Ned Stark. Uh, it's a sad scene, though. I, I think the reason why it's so sad to me is not only has like at this point, I think at this point, right, that uh, that Gendry has already announced, like, I'm going to stay on with the Brotherhood without banners. Uh, and Arya's like, no, come to come to Winterfell with me. We'll be family. And she says, you wouldn't be my family. You'd be my lady because he's, you know, lower born. Um, and we're my so lady used- or milady, milady, milady. My bad, okay. my bad. My In, bad. Well, that I don't know because I <laughs> watched it with the closed captions on, and the closed yeah. captions clearly say my lady. Ah, but the uh, line delivery is I feel like you kind of split the difference. Yeah, Joe Dempsey taking some creative license, some artistic license with the line read. Uh, but I think the point is like you, you, at this point we've we feel like Arya has been through so much and seen through seen so much, and even from the jump, like even before anything truly awful had happened to her, she was already so ferocious that she always seemed like a little wiser or wilder than her age suggested. And when she talks about how like could you bring my dad back to life? It's like you're with Arya as a kid again for the first time in forever. I feel like you're really reminded that, oh, she's just a little girl who is like missing from everybody and everything that she knows and loves is completely separated from all of that. Uh, It's kind of a brutal moment in that context. Yeah. And Gendry, her only pal that he wants to stay and be with the Brotherhood Without Banners and Arya uh, system later on. I mean, do you think that uh, the Lannisters are going to spare the Smiths? The Lannisters hate the Smiths. <laughs> Least favorite band by far. Uh, yeah, probably not. Yeah, probably, probably not. not. Lannisters don't seem like they're going to spare anybody if they get the chance. No, you wouldn't think so. Okay. Uh, let's uh, talk about what is going on uh, north of the wall, Josh. How much can we say, you know, <laughs> without getting into trouble? Family podcast. Family podcast. Johnny Negrit. Some hard R material happening. John breaking his vows. How about we just put it that way? John breaks his vows with Egret. Yeah. Well, first that John is uh, really being uh, having the screws put to him. Uh, first definition by uh, Tormund and Oral. Uh, that's that's uh, that's O R E L L. Oral. Okay. Yeah. 
So they're asking him about all of the castles and, you know, what is the situation there? Jon Snow says that there are a thousand men at Castle Black. Feels like an exaggeration. Are there 10 people at Castle Black? <laughs> I think there's like, I think there's like probably like 50 people at Castle Black right yeah. now. You know, not a lot. Not mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. So, you know, well, who's there? Maester Eamon? Yeah, he's really fudging the numbers. Yeah, Sam's not even there. So who's there? <laughs> who's at Castle Black? Yeah, I think J.R. Mormont really took the whole crew out for uh, for lunch that uh, on that expedition. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Egret steals John's sword and runs off with it. So to speak. Yes. And she runs into the cave in the hot springs. And then uh, Jon Snow finds himself in a, a very relatable situation, I feel, uh, that uh, Egret is basically uh, strips down completely, uh, takes off all of her wildlings uniform and uh, basically is saying like, hey, like break your vows with me. And John's like, uh, but this is hard because I'm secretly undercover. But like, I really want to do what you're asking me to do. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, you know, listen, he's got to commit to the part. You know, I don't think that the uh, the other members of the Night's Watch, given what's at stake, if they if they knew what he was doing so that he could really infiltrate the uh, the wildlings. Yeah, they would give him. I think they'd give him a pass. Yes. Uh, he tells her we shouldn't. She retorts. We should. We totally should. We totally should. Yes. Yeah, we should definitely do this. And so. So they do. They she, do. And she tells Jon Snow, you know, nothing, Jon Snow, but says that he knows something. He knows one thing. He knows one thing. And it was something that she didn't know. And he did. And she was very surprised with the results. Yes. Yes. Uh, something about a Lord's kiss is what she yes. refers. Right. And John's like, no, I just made it up. Improvised. He invented that. He made it up. Yeah. He's the inventor of the Lord's kiss. Mm-hmm. The, Lord, the Lord snows kiss. Yes. So Lord commander. Mormon's kiss. <laughs> I don't know. It's a touching scene. You know? A lot of touching. There's so much touching. And you know that John is like in like hot water here, literally with the hot tub uh, where he's, you know, he's, he's you're getting in, you're, you know, you're getting in too deep. John Snow, Whoa. you're getting in, you're getting into, <laughs> you're getting into trouble. I'm getting into trouble trying to explain this. <laughs> Everything is, everything's wrong. All of it is. So I like right. when, uh, she is asking him about his history and she says, Oh, you were a maid. Yeah, that's funny. That's really funny. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, well, who have you been with? And she's like, Oh, there's this one guy who was also redheaded. He's kissed by fire like me. Oh, and then there was the then he was huge. He was a big guy. And then, like, all right, can like, we okay, not talk about this? Yeah. And then there was bill, oh. you know, like <laughs> on Steve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he he doesn't really want to know. But it's it's a sweet moment when she's like, let's never leave this cave. Let's just stay. Because, like, again, it's sort of similar in the way that, like, we've only seen Egret as like this, like a battle ready badass who just like really wants to, you know, fight and kill. And she's like a wildling through and through. And then this is a moment where she's kind of letting down her defense and she's actually, you know, it's a tender moment for her where she's like, let's never leave the cave. It's a surprising, um, you know, it's a different layer of the character in a scene where there are not many layers. <laughs> yes, all the layers are gone. Um, yes. 
uh, this is what I still to the end of my days will never understand. Why isn't there a line of 500 wildlings to get into this cave? It's the one place in the entire north that's like a sauna, hot springs, it's warm, there's a bath. Why is Egret have completed? She like put like a, a sock on the door. Where is everybody else? We don't think that there's other like hot springs. We don't think that like this pocket of the north just has like tons of hot springs. Or the other thing is that the wildlings, they just like to be dirty. Nobody else wanted a hot bath. Yeah. Egret's just doing this out of courtesy for Jon Snow. Like her preference would be to be cold and dirty like the rest of the wildlings. That's it. That's their preference. I think it's like, you know, some people are hot people. Some people are cold people. Are you are you a hot person or a cold person? Be hot. You like to be hot. If Egret yep. says, hey, let's never leave the cave. I'm saying, you know what? Sounds like a plan. You're setting up shop. Uh, I'm, I found, I'm retired from the yeah. Night's Watch. Coming to you live <laughs> from my from cave. My cave. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, I listened to the cave cast. That sounds fun. That's it. So, okay. Uh, that's what's in Craster had a cave. <laughs> Yeah, Mormon, you've got 99 caves. I've seen a cave before. Oh, and I'm not going to do a Lord's kiss either. <laughs> Mormon. Never <laughs> once. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that it for John and Ygritte? Did we see them again? Yeah, that's, that's basically it for them. Um, I feel like we could yada yada through the Danny and Stannis stuff, right? Like, well, here let's just give the like the the cliff notes of that sure, we meet. Sure. We meet uh, the the we have a whole uh, Stannis uh, family reveal in this episode. Uh, yeah, we meet Stannis's so, right? wife, I believe, for the first time, right? I think that's right. I think that's right. I don't remember. I know we we heard about her a lot. Maybe we saw her briefly. Salise. Yes. And again, uh, this is, you know, Stan is a, a very relatable situation that he finds himself in, I, I feel. Uh, comes to Salise, tells her, you know, I have to tell you about, I've, I've broken a sacred vow uh, with the Red Woman, the Lady Melisandre. And she's like, no, I'm so, ha- I was so happy. She told me everything. Yeah, I knew. I already knew. I already knew. Yeah. I wept you know. with joy, she says. Yeah. <laughs> I was psyched. It was great. Yeah, it was, it's a very strange scene. Not only is she like happy to hear him like confess to like having this affair that she was secretly uh, already aware of and excited about, but then we like see like the stillborn baby yep. in formaldehyde. Yep. Like what's happening? That's wacky. Here? And, and then also she's like, no, no, I suck. I suck. I, I heard that the lady Melisandre gave you a son. I could never do that. I suck. It's like, yeah, but he was a smoke monster that kind of came and disappeared for no yeah. reason. Like that was that like counts. Mario Quinn. The, yeah. yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And I, I don't know. I like obviously in the in the writing of the scene, they um, you know, the Game of Thrones writers really wanted to convey the fact that Stannis and Solis had had difficulty conceiving a son. But it's just like it's it's so 
I hate the phrase. I say it sometimes. It's so on the nose. This whole like showing like the babies in the in the floating fluid. Like it's so weird and wacky. And there is no better way of conveying this information. Like this feels like a different show to me uh, in this moment. I'm, yeah. I'm not a fan. Not a fan yeah. of this scene at all. And then we also get to meet uh, Stannis and Salise's daughter Shireen. She is a fan of uh, Davos. Too bad Davos is a traitor. We're not talking to him anymore he's not cool he is gonna be in the brig uh and we see later on that shireen will bring him a book uh to uh because he must be so bored she loves davos i i gotta imagine he is very bored <laughs> uh you know you can only play tiddlywinks with your bag of bones so many times he doesn't even have the bag of bones so he's is that a, is that a metaphor wings yeah maybe okay <laughs> All right. Uh, That's Dragonstone. That's it. That's it. We we can talk about the mother of dragons now. Yeah. And then the mother of dragons, uh, really, we get like a long store, long conversation between uh, 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 Jorah Mormont and also uh, Sir Barristan. Yeah. Barry the Bold. And I, I had severe whiplash in this scene because in one moment they are just, you know, really kind of geeking out over each other. It seems like they're like reminiscing about some some mutually um, amusing stories. And then in the next minute, Barristan's like, you know, you can't you can't really come to Westeros, right? Like it's going to be a bad look. And George's like, excuse me, you just got here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it gets very mean girls between these two. I feel like it's very territorial all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that, uh, uh, the horse is a good actor in this scene. It's like, uh, after Jorah burns Barristan, like the horse gives like a good Winnie. Wow. I didn't notice that. I'm going to have to <laughs> read horse acting the, the in this episode. Great. I love horse acting. So good to know. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we see Danny meet with the officers of the Unsullied and one steps forward and he removes his helmet to reveal that his name is Grey Worm. And Masande explains that the Unsullied, they get names for vermin uh, such as like uh, Red Rat and uh, Grey Worm. And so uh, my question is, how many gray worms do you think there are in the Unsullied? Oh, you think that the, like it's like the John of the Unsullied? Well, like I mean, the, the is mat? there red worm, blue worm, black worm, uh, you know, uh, orange worm? Like, like, are they all like, do we go through the whole rainbow of worms and then rainbows of cockroach and then? Yeah, probably. Well, but there's like 8,000 Unsullied, so I feel like they're going to have a lot of repeats. There's only so many vermin. Sure. Yeah, but it's like, you know, uh, you know, there's more than one Josh out there. Yeah. There's multiple, there's multiple Roberts. Uh, there's even a few Robs on Game of Thrones. But this so, would be like yeah. multiple Josh Wigglers. You know, I do know of one other Josh Wiggler. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. We don't uh, need to get into that. It's a separate podcast. Okay, so uh, Grey Worm's uh, logic is no. I want to stay Grey Worm. This is my my original name was my unlucky name because then I got I beca- uh, became unsullied and they did terrible things to me. Grey Worm is my lucky name because then I got to be free and, and be in the army of Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah, he's like to be honest with you, I'm a little offended that you're seemingly suggesting that my name is bullshit. Like, <laughs> I love being Grey Worm. How would you like it if someone told you Daenerys is a stupid name and you should change your name to like, I don't know, Amelia? Yeah. 
In fairness, his given name was Pinkworm, so he felt like the Grey Worm was an upgrade. I like Pinkworm. I think Pinkworm's a good name, too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then let's check in with the Stark forces in River Run. And great storyline going on here. This is, a, this is a great episode for Rob Stark. Yes. We see the young Lannister boys, uh, which were taken. Uh, there is a break into their cell, and uh, Lord Karstark and some other guys come in, and they end up just uh, killing those kids. It's very savage and brutal and terrible. And Karstark uh, pays for it dearly and immediately, basically. Yeah. Well, he's asking for it because uh, that, you know, he's brought in front of Rob Stark. And then he's like, oh, Rob Stark won't do anything to me. I don't know why he's Craster also. But yeah. uh, he's, <laughs> he's Craster. <laughs> he's basically like, oh, I'll get a slap on the wrist. Right, and by slap on the wrist, you mean a, a lop of the sword swinging your your head off mm-hmm. to eternity, oblivion. You're dead. Yeah, no, Rob Stark, out, Stark. He is not suffering fools today because uh, there was the one guy that was like, oh, oh, they made me do it. Uh, uh, like I was just watching. And they said, oh, well, you could watch as everybody gets hanged and then you get hanged last. Yeah, wow. April fools. <laughs> yeah, Psych. You're, you're toast. You're the last one to go, but you're totally going. Yeah, he's really in a bad mood. This is the worst mood we've seen Rob Stark in in a very long time. Since, like, at least since he, like, ruined his sword on that tree. Yeah, he's angry. And so he's going to behead Lord Karstark. He gives Karstark the opportunity for final words. And he says, like, uh, we're kin. Uh, and he's saying, that it's like, I save you. No, I want it to haunt you for the rest of your days. Yeah, yeah. Can you reverse the curse? Yes. Kill me and be cursed, Karstark says. The Karstark curse. I'm surprised uh, <laughs> has not yeah. made an appearance on the Ghost <laughs> Island. Yeah. Um, I, I did, was cracking up then. There's a scene then after, you know, Rob, very dramatic. It's in the rain. Rob lops off Karstark's head. And then he is talking with Talissa later on the episode. He's like, well, you were right. The car Starks are gone. Like, oh, man, that's so crazy. Uh, Just because you decapitated uh, Lord Karstark, uh, they're all uh, half of the army left. That is weird. It is. Yeah. Talissa's Uh, like, I I hate to say I told you so, but yeah, yeah. you know, I was right about that. If you kill Karstark, yeah, his forces will just abandon the army and leave. He, you know, completely ignored very good advice. So what are you going to, what are you going to do? This is what happens. This is what, this is what happens to, for Rob Stark. Uh, it's not, not great. And then, uh, after, after that, he determines, wait, I've got a great idea. Light bulb goes off. I need to take the Lannisters house. I'm going to home invade the Lannisters. I'm going to take on Casterly Rock. It would be easier to do if I still had the car Starks, but I've got another plan. I'm going to go knock on the door of one Walder Frey, and I'm going to enlist the Frey's, and we're going to take out Casterly Rock together. Foolproof plan. Yeah, great full, plan. yeah, great plan. He says, uh, I've got the greatest plan that I'm going to attack them where they're not, and I need an army, and I'll get it. From the very man whose daughter I was supposed to marry. And he like slams the chess piece on the board. Yeah, it drops the rook. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, okay, cool. That's a lot of stuff happening. 
Lots going on. Lots. Go- Shall we get to the spoilers? Yes. Uh, let's get to the spoiler section. Okay. Spoiler. Spoilers coming. Get out of here. Get out of here. Very Boy, that quickly. horse acting was so good in this episode. The horse acting was really some good. of the best horse acting we've seen in Game of Thrones. Hope you guys are gone because wow, Rob, bad plan. Ooh, that's so bad. Bad, bad, bad plan. Very bad plan. Very, 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 um, very bad. Where is he plan. getting this from? This is a bad idea. I don't know. Like usually, his ideas have been pretty good, but yeah. it's it's the Car Stark curse. Like he killed Car Stark and suddenly he can't think straight anymore. Like I'll tell you what, I will go knock on the door of like the meanest bastard this side of Craster, mm-hmm. uh, who I think Walter Frey can inherit your Craster impression. <sighs> uh, you know, and I'm gonna go to that guy and I'm gonna ask him to join me in the fight. And he's totally going to be okay with the fact that I completely dissed him and his entire family. Definitely will be no repercussions from that whatsoever. Yeah, some instant car Starkma right there. Yeah. <laughs> <Boy>. <laughs> That's bad? It's not great. I mean, I haven't been on fire today either. I've, neither of us have been kissed on fire. Yeah. Um, yeah, anyway, so this is why the Red Wedding happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're, I mean, I think that we're really, as we go through it, we're trying to watch. And, and really, I, I think that if you are Tywin Lannister and you're sort of like tracking everything that's going on, I mean, really, Rob Stark plays right into your hand with all this. So I wonder, like, how, how does this play then? Because, you know, we've been trying to track the, the letter writing from Tywin Lannister as well. There's no way that he can predict that Rob is going to do something this stupid, right? So is he, is like the correspondence that we're, you know, supposing that he is having with Walder Frey more about like, hey, could you just like side with us? Like, it would be great if you sided with us. And like, he's, you know, developing rapport with Walder Frey. And then this is the moment where Walder Frey is like, Oh, hey, something really amazing is about to happen. Uh, I will totally side with you, and maybe we should think about red wedding these people. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see exactly how it plays out because, uh, you know, has, has Roos Bolton flipped at this point? Because he was very nice and warm to Jamie Lannister as he came back. He was, you know, he's messing with him a little bit, but, uh, you know, he did get, provide him with very nice accommodations. He's just taking the piss out of Jamie Lannister, which is a difficult job considering what happened to Jamie Lannister in the most recent episode. Um, I think that the that the treachery against the Starks is at least a twinkle in his eye right now in Bruce Bolton's eye. I think that he at least has uh, a mind that this would be a good plan for him. Yeah, because we've seen Tywin writing letters. So you would feel like that, um, you know, Bruce Bolton is a key cog in that plan. The key cog man. <laughs> right right he is the he is the brian cog man so uh yeah it'll be interesting to see exactly uh how it all comes together but R- rob Stark, what a bad plan bad plan it's a bad plan um everything was bad in this episode everything he did was bad and this was the worst thing that he did mm-hmm. yeah it's very a very bad thing that he that he has chosen to do it's all it's all downhill we're on the decline with rob stark it's tough to watch train wreck yeah. So what what should happen? Should it once Blue they got the right. the Lannister kids that uh Rob says, Look, like I know it's not Jamie Lannister, but please, Lord Karstark, will you do us the honor and execute these Lannister boys? 
Yeah, I know, because he's not going to kill kids. I I don't know. The whole thing is terrible. Everything about it is bad. There's just no real good play for Rob Stark at this point. But that would have been better. I think that the idea that Edmure, uh, of all people, is pitching, like, have him be a hostage. Tell the rest of the Karsarks, like, everything's going to be okay. He will be fine. As long as you guys stay loyal, like, we're not going to kill the guy. Um, just imprison him. Imprison him. Life imprisonment. Mm-hmm. Or at least, like, you know, a long stay of jail time. Yeah. Karstark baited him. Yeah. You know, bad, bad plan by Rob Stark. Ah, uh, so bad. It's really unfortunate. Very unfortunate. But, like, that was, like, watching that moment, you're like, ah, yeah. So that's, that's, that's it. That's the ball game. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have this uh, big battle between, or s- small battle between uh, Beric and the Hound uh, in this episode. Uh, we we find out that the Lord of Light is not done with the Hound yet in this episode, which is interesting because we will see the Hound reunited with these characters when we get to season seven. Yeah, uh, and you you got to wonder exactly what that plan is. There is that moment in season seven where the hound looks into the fire and the fire is sending him north. Um, and then like, you know, the things that happen north are somewhat anticlimactic, at least as it pertains to the to the East Watch crew. I think, you know, certainly Thoros is going to die. But I think the bigger deal is that it aligns the hound with the army of the living like it puts him there. And I think if you follow that through, that the Hound still has more work to do, then maybe it's the two guys who share a family name who killed Beric Dondarrion have to fight each other. And the Hound has to save some of the good guys from the mountain. And that's why he's still here. That's his purpose. Clegane Bull. Yeah. Okay. And he will save Beric Dondarrion in the Clegane Bull? No, I think Beric Dondarrion, there's no saving that guy. Yes. It's it's uh it's honestly astonishing that we are talking about Game of Thrones through seven seasons and Beric Dondarrion is still on the field. That's crazy. Unless me. he got killed when the wall collapsed. Maybe. Maybe yeah, he didn't. He probably didn't. Will the mountain like, we'll have a scene. kill Beric Dondarrion again? Oh, that's fun. Uh yeah, I think that that could happen. Uh, you know, score three for the Cloganes against <laughs> Beric Dondarrion. Ah, Clegane's my kryptonite. How did you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thoros can't bring him back. Right. He's only got the one left. That's it. Game over. Yeah. Game of Thrones over. Mm-hmm. Do you understand how the flaming sword works, Josh? Um, No, it's just magic. Magic? Who's magic? Barrack's magic? Yeah, I think it's just like Lord of Light magic. Like he's got fire that brings him back to life. They had to so like he- cut his hand open. And then he got like put his, yeah. smeared his blood on the sword to make it go on fire. Blood fire magic. It's fine. I don't think that we need to get lost in the Jojen reads of this. <laughs> it's, it's just a fire sword. It's cool. It's very cool. I just remembered that fight being a lot cooler, but there's just so many cuts and I found it to be very distracting. Uh, I'm probably in a very uh, small minority of people who think this. So I accept the uh, oppositional opinion for what it is. But no, I'm excited to see what happens next with the hound what else from this episode uh do we do we want to get into here the beginning of like the jamie and brienne friendship Mm -hmm. uh potentially like a little more than friendship like this is the moment where brienne seems to really be taking the turn on jamie lannister yeah 
No, she is uh, way back. I mean, he apologizes to her. I think that really uh, that 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 you know from here on out, it was a long way. Yeah, it was a long way. They're they're very they're very tight, and then ultimately, you know, he'll go on to save her later on this season uh, from the bear pit. Ah, oh, can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait for the bear pit. The bear pit's a great, great moment. That's great. Um, Tyrion and Sansa. That's going to lead to some some sad stuff. And I mean, I've talked about before how I feel like Tyrion and Sansa being together at the end of the series actually makes a good amount of sense to me. Like, I think that um, some sort of alliance official between the Starks and the Lannisters through these two characters as we're leaving Game of Thrones forever. I feel like you can see that, or at least I can see that. Um, and as bad of a start as it gets off to, it was it was nice to to have Tyrion in this scene being like, no way, that is so unimaginably cruel. Um, it was just kind of a good reminder of his baseline morality. The Shea stuff that's coming up notwithstanding, uh, but I think just to like have that reminder that Tyrion has this human side where he's like, that is a that is a wretched thing to do to this poor person. Uh, I think speaks well of their potential future together. Yeah, Tywin did say, why, do you plan on mistreating her? Yeah. He's like, why do you care about her? It doesn't matter. <laughs> you shouldn't you shouldn't care. Um I think I uh just to bounce back to uh the Karstark stuff. Yes. I think I'd be more bummed that uh poor Martin Lannister died if uh not for the fact that he was about to be resurrected as Tom and Baratheon. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh which which death is better for Martin Lannister? Uh, I think the uh, the jumping off of the Red Keep is yeah iconic, became right? more of a gif. Yeah, it was it's shot so well uh, when he like walks off frame and then comes back and just like does it so swiftly. It's terrible. It's like it's a very upsetting moment, uh, but it's also just it's it's great. Very yeah. very good stuff. Does um, Lord Karstark wear a dress? Um, he wears like a re- he wears like a triple XL shirt. <laughs> kind of, yeah, he kind of wears like a like a giant t shirt. Like he was sleeping at somebody's house and they didn't have any pajamas for him. Yeah, he's just like wearing like a giant. What's t-shirt. the biggest t shirt that you have here for me? <laughs> yeah, he's wearing like uh like one one the giants <laughs> their sleepover. It's just like it's like draping to his toes. Okay, what's coming up next week, Josh? The climb. The climb, climb. is everything. Yeah, I think that's the the chaos is a ladder. Uh, chaos everything. is a ladder. Um, Roz is going to die. She's not going to have any kind of send off. Really, she's just going to show up dead. Chaos be- is like a giant t shirt <laughs> that you think you have both your arms through. Yeah, but you, yeah. You're swimming in your shirt. But you really you could use a big belt. It's difficult to climb it. Yes. Uh, so we've got that to look forward to. The really uh, the iconic image, if I am not mistaken, of, of John and Egret kissing uh, at the top of the wall after they've made the climb. And Oral. That's coming up. Oral's there. He's kind of peeping yeah. on the situation. It's a little creepy. Yeah. So Oral's right. Oral's right there. Um, so, all right. This was a lot of fun to go through this episode. Yeah. I mean, I, we're not doing like the deep dive in the, in the spoiler section right now. I think we hinted at a lot of stuff in the, in the spoiler free. Yeah. Um, 
you know, inching ever closer to uh, to the death of the spoiler free section. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've got five episodes left of that before that gets red wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think of the kiss by fire as the name of this episode? What would you have gone with the Kingslayer? That might have been fun. Ooh, Kingslayer. Yeah, I like that. You know, he really does have like the Oscar performance of the uh, of the episode. Yeah, I think that that's probably the most iconic moment from this episode. Like, I think that's probably the most memorable thing. No. Yeah, but I think also Kissed by Fire relates to more things. There's the sword fight between the Hound and Barrack. There is Egret being kissed by Fire. There like is the Lord's uh, kiss. Right. And then the Lord of Lights kiss uh, with with the Dragonstone storyline. It's all about the Lord of Light and the fire magic there. And, um, you know, some might say that dipping a toe into that hot tub at uh, at Harrenhal is like being kissed by fire. Very hot. Wow. OK, so yeah. good bath stuff in this episode. Very good bath episode. I think probably got to be the best bath episode of Game of Thrones uh, through three episodes and uh, three seasons and five episodes at this point. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess I get some other bath scenes. I think this is the best. They do a good job in a bath. Sure. Yeah. Game of Thrones has good bath scenes. Yes. Okay. All right. Follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter. He is at Round Howard. We'll be back with the Walking Dead feedback show after a week off last week to uh, as we approach the final two weeks of the Walking Dead season, Josh. Unbelievable. Hurry up. Yes. <laughs> Hurry up. After. <laughs> Plus, Must then we get faster. into all the Fear of the Walking Dead. Westworld is around the corner. So lots of good yes. on over on post show recaps. Dot com. All right. Uh, we'll see you uh, next time. Take care, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. 